I also wanted to point out that uh, in honor of the uh, recent anniversary of D-Day, I am, of course, wearing my Spitfire earrings. I know you all recognize that. <laughs> so, although a, a friend pointed out to me that um, it's a little troubling, actually, because they're, they're sort of crashing. <laughs> it's a great line. Uh, the trouble with being one of the few is we keep becoming fewer. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, this session that, that we're all in um, is on culture, risk, and fear. And my field requires quite a lot of understanding of those three factors because I work in military ethics. And our core issue in many cases is trying to overcome the resistance of those we are teaching, particularly those who have not yet seen any combat of any kind. So for example, I taught for 11 years at the US Naval Academy, future Navy and Marine Corps officers, to get over uh, their belief uh, that military ethics is something that was created recently uh, by uh, JAGs or some civilian influence uh, that is some kind of response to public peer pressure and uh, is not something that is actually real in the lives they're going to lead when they actually see combat. So one of the core points then about culture is we have to confront early on with these folks who are joining the military culture for the first time, their idea that the culture is actually not about restraint ever. Uh, it is about killing people and blowing things up. And that, in fact, the phrase you hear tossed around all the time is, it is better to be judged by, uh, judged by 12 than carried by six. And so they're basically saying it's better to do something that you're later going to be hauled in front of a, a jury for uh, than to end up dead. So it's all about staying alive. It's not about restraint. It's not about ethics. One of the points we try to make that's about risk is that when they do that, when they make that assessment, they are not understanding that there are different kinds of risk. Now we've heard a lot about that in other contexts here, but the type that I'm talking about is the difference between the physical risk that they're initially focusing on, particularly again those who haven't seen combat, they are most focused on death and dismemberment, uh, and then also getting them to think about other kinds of risks, like the psychological risks. Uh, in some cases, we might call them spiritual, or I would use the term also moral risks of what they're about to face. And then that third component, fear. The fear that, that they are most anxious about, and it shifts slightly depending on their role, whether they are going into a leadership role or if they are, are going to be um, one of the troops but not in a leadership role, their fear is whether uh, they are going to be held responsible for uh, the deaths of others. I actually find that it isn't primarily the fear of their own deaths. They are primarily, if they're going to be officers, they're primarily afraid of being responsible for the deaths of the troops under them. And if they're not going to be officers, they are primarily afraid of not saving a buddy's life. So being you know, responsible in that sense for the death of someone else. So with all those factors, culture, risk, and fear, kind of working against their initial intuitions, how do we convince them that military ethics is a thing and that it isn't a new thing and that they need to adopt it? Well, um, one of the things that I did at the Naval Academy that I'm, I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to do is I had to get past the, hi, I'm a philosopher and a civilian philosopher trying to talk to you about military ethics. I had to get past that uh, and get them to listen to me and take me seriously. And the way I did this was I cheated. 
says the ethicist. And I brought in guest speakers who had been there and done that. And the most effective guest speaker I ever brought in was an actual US Medal of Honor winner. So that is our highest military honor. And actually very few Medal of Honor winners are still alive. Uh, it is often, most often given posthumously. But this was uh, Sergeant Sammy Davis, and we brought him in to speak to my Code of the Warrior class. Now I had already, this was maybe the midpoint of the semester, and I had already been trying to persuade them, first of all, that there is a long culture of restraint, not only in the present military, but throughout every military that you look at, uh, about lines that divide honorable from dishonorable behavior among warriors. It is not just about killing people and blowing stuff up, and it never has been. So I've been making that point for a long time. But again, it was still just me, civilian gal, making that point. So I bring in Sergeant Davis, and I have him give whatever talk he wanted to give. You get the Medal of Honor winner, you're like, you have the floor, sir. What do you want to say? Uh, and he gave a talk about his experiences and about unit cohesion and so forth. And then it came to Q&A. And my most obnoxious student, those of you who teach will recognize the type, raised his hand first, really high. His name was Tom, I remember him well. And um, Sergeant Davis calls on him and Tom gives me a little look and says, our professor has been telling us that as officers, we are responsible for protecting the humanity of our troops. But isn't that just BS? isn't my job as an officer just to bring them back alive? And he looks at the sergeant with this big smile like, aren't I cool? You know, I get it. Again, this kid's not been anywhere near combat ever. And he's talking to this Medal of Honor winner. I have to tell you though, I held my breath because I thought, oh my God, you know, depending on what this guy says, he's gonna either destroy my course or, or save it. And as you can tell, I wouldn't tell the story if it went the, the bad way. <laughs> You'd be like, ah, oh, bye. Um, but thankfully, what he said could not have been better. Um, he scared the holy hell out of this kid. He got right in his face, like only a sergeant can do. I got right there and shouted at him. And I won't quite recreate it because I don't want to scare anyone. But he got right there and he said, if that's what you believe, get the hell out of my military. You have no right to be an officer. I would never trust you with troops. And he went on and on and on from there. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> but the point he made I won't forget, and the point that he made with me later, because we ended up talking about it quite a lot, is that we have to tell them this truth that they're not going to see automatically and they're going to think is something fuzzy imposed from elsewhere, and that's that there actually are fates worse than death. And it's interesting because it relates in, in some ways to your point, but they have to be told and they have to understand that in joining this community, this culture, they are committing already to risking their lives. They are already committing to the fact that some of their fellows are going to get killed too and some of the troops under their command, if their officers are gonna get killed, all of that is already given. They have to commit to their mission, they understand that part. They need to also understand that some actions that they take result in outcomes that are worse than getting people killed. Now, the troubling part of that is one of the recent examples uh, that, that uh, is probably best known in the public sphere because it was made into a film, uh, that's how people find out about things in the military, uh, is the example of Marcus Luttrell and the SEALs who um, were, to, to tell you the very brief version, uh, they uh, were interrupted in their mission by three civilian uh, goat herders and they had to decide, do we let these guys go or do we kill them? If we let them go, they might alert the Taliban 
as to our location. The correct legal and ethical thing to do was either to let them go or to somehow restrain them. Uh, they did let them go, and unfortunately, it did actually lead to them being um, told, uh, their position being revealed. And not only uh, were there deaths in that unit, but then the unit that was sent to rescue them uh, also suffer, suffered heavy casualties. So in the end, they lost, I believe, 19 people in this mission uh, for not having killed these three goat herders. The students bring up cases like this again to say, isn't the math there? Isn't this an example again of why we shouldn't have these restraints on us? But the bigger picture that the combat veterans try to make is to say, look, have you talked to Marcus Luttrell? Have you talked to other SEALs? How do they feel about that decision? If they could go back in time, would they reverse it? And if not, why not? And for what reasons? And this is where being able to work with people who are actually in this culture has helped me understand that uh, it isn't a, a myth or a projected from the outside idea. It is coming organically from them, the idea that in fact, no, you have to do it even if it leads to death. You have to hold these values because what they are more afraid of is losing their identity, sacred identity, losing their core of who they are, and losing the sense that any of it has any meaning. And this connects back to something that I find heartbreaking, but we have to confront, and that is that when I hear from my former students, some of whom are SEALs now, some of whom are uh, Marines and Naval officers out in the world, they have a lot of discomfort with some of the missions that they're sent on. They are not always 100% or even anywhere near that uh, behind what they are being asked to do. The one thing that gives any meaning to their lives and that they're able to find psychological strength from is the belief that they are part of this unit that has honor, that they are doing something that uh, has this, this unique value. If you strip that from them, it destroys them psychologically in a very significant way. And so they can't have that uh, destroyed. Now, I know I'm almost out of time, but I wanted to read you a quote that um, relates to this point. It's actually uh, from a story that came to light only in 2001, uh, but it was from the Vietnam War. Senator uh, Bob Kerry, not John Kerry, Bob Kerry, uh, who was himself a U.S. Navy SEAL, he was involved in an incident where they did kill a number of civilian uh, Vietnamese, uh, and uh, the incident was covered up for a long time, but when it was finally revealed, he was asked about his feelings about it. And I, I have the quotes in my paper, but I did also want to add, I, I did have the chance to meet with him and speak to him personally about this. And I do believe it's sincere and not just a press release kind of reply that he gave. When he was asked about having killed those civilians, so similar in some ways to the Luttrell case, Here's what he said. Uh, he said that he'd spent the last three decades wondering if he could have done something different that night. And he says, it's far more than guilt. It's the shame. You can never, ever get away from it. It darkens your day. I thought dying for your country was the worst thing that could happen to you. But I don't think it is. I think killing for your country can be a lot worse because that's the memory that haunts. So returning to this point, the final point I would make is that it is a huge mistake uh, to teach military ethics from the perspective that is overly legalistic and that relies on language, as I mentioned in one of my Q&A comments earlier, of reciprocity or forfeiture by the enemy. It cannot be about them. 
and it can't be about how you perceive the enemy. If you teach that, that we're just making a contract with the people we're fighting and we're going to behave this way and they're going to behave this way, then it will fall apart because you can't control how the enemy behaves. And we had this very recently. In fact, just last year, a 39-year-old British Royal Marine, uh, Sergeant Blackman, uh, was sentenced for shooting, um, they, they ended up trying for murder, a wounded Taliban prisoner. And in his trial, it came out what he said when he did it. And his lines just before he shot this prisoner, which were verified even by him, uh, he said this, uh, there you are, shuffle off this mortal coil, you cunt. It's nothing you wouldn't do to us. There's reciprocity for you. You can't make it about that. It has to be about, I will never do this, no matter who the enemy is. And that's the identity that they need. Thank you.